The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, um, wow, this is great. This is really good. Um, Hands up if you um, have never, ever face-to-face seen me before. Ever. Oh, that's pretty good then. Oh, there's a couple. There's a couple never, ever face-to-face seen before. I've only been here 10 months, so that's pretty good. Hands up if you have seen me face-to-face and wish you'd never had. Oh, Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Do you know, we can only go from here, can't we? We can only get better. I love the honesty of this church, Jim. It's just amazing. Look, do you know, those of you who actually know me will know that I'm actually quite a jolly guy. I really am. I'm a glass is half full. I, if someone's sad, I want them to be better quickly and, and all sorts of things. And honesty, it really is. And coming here today, I was thinking, oh, goodness, you know, it's a kind of celebration, isn't it? But there's, there's a sadness as well. It, isn't there? There's a sadness for all sorts of reasons, really. And one is that I'm not Mark here today. I want to say that up front. And some of you are here thinking, last time I came here, he was here. And some of you are thinking, last time I came here, I was worshipping with someone who I've lost. And last time I came here, and so guess what? You don't want to invite me to your jolly party, do you really? I mean, come on. I mean, exactly, because you know what, I've I've called today the importance of sadness, because there is a kind of, um, a school that I think even amongst churches that says, you know, uh, goodness and joy is really amazing, and sadness is bad, and because we love Jesus, and because Jesus changes, well, we should never be sad again, and and it's really, you know, you're really spoiling the praise party if you're sad. And really today, if you forget everything, if you forget my name, and I say that a lot, I know, the fact is, I want you to say, it's okay to be sad. Is that okay? It's okay to be sad. And uh, my mum, I lost my parents at a young age, but she would say to me when there was a, a family party, and I would be maybe a bit melancholic, and I'm normally really happy, is she'd say, oh great, it's been so cheerful, that keeps you going, you know, that sort of thing. But um, I kind of got the title of today's message, The Importance of Sadness, from a movie called Inside Out. Has anyone seen that animated movie? What a brilliant film. What a brilliant movie. And it's about, really, it's about the emotional console of a child. Instead of me trying to explain it to you, if you've never seen it, I've got about a couple of minute clip. I'd like to show you a clip from it, and then I'll come back, and then we'll get on with our message today. Okay, is that okay? Thanks, Des. Brilliant. Okay, no video. 
Okay, it's a great film. Watch it. It's really, really good. That's fine. So what happens is, it was just, it was just a minute's clip. Don't worry, Mr. Blockbuster. Not the whole thing. Okay. What it was, is that it's like an animated film of a child, and this child has a console, emotional console, with joy and fear and disgust and anger and sadness. And the thing is, throughout the film, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, but I won't spoil it really, is that everyone really doesn't want sadness to get on the console at all. Sadness must not get near this console at any cost because the child's got to be happy because if a child is happy they'll do well at school, they'll do well in all sorts of things. But towards the end of the movie there is a kind of light bulb moment in all of the people which where they say, oh no, where's sadness gone? Because the child is making some really poor choices and needs sadness to get perspective about what that looks like. And so they, they hunt high and low, and I won't spoil it anymore, but they drag sadness to the console in order for the child to have perspective. So sadness is really so, so important. And what I wanted to do today is, is to kind of burst the myth, and you might not have had it anyway, which is actually sadness is amazing. Sadness is so essential, it's, but it's not something to dominate our console, if you want. But it's something that's so important for us to contribute to our perspective on life and love and faith and Jesus and all sorts of things. And so I really wanted to call today the importance of sadness. And, and I hope that's okay with you. Because the first thing, there's no particular order, as they often say on some shows, whatever. There's no priority of, of, of what sadness does. But the first thing sadness did for me is it led me to Jesus. It led me to Jesus. And that's not a bad start, is it? Sadness leads us to Christ. You know, there can be a temptation to make our gospel something like, well, you know, just why don't you try Jesus? You know, maybe Jesus will make your life better. Jesus will make your life uh, much more fun or he'll walk with you through life. And, and we can kind of just talk about the benefits. Do you want to go to heaven? Now, who wouldn't? You know, most people want to be saved if they're drowning in the sea. They don't want the lifeguard to come and live with them, though, do they? We don't want to come and change everything. And so we can see that sometimes we have a gospel which is, well, Jesus is here for your benefit. He's come to give you a better life. But that's not true. And the gospel I heard was that, Keith, you're bust. Keith, you could live a thousand lives and you'll never please a holy God because his standard is perfection and not your, not your kind of standard of goodness, which will never, never meet up to that holy standard. And so the first thing that happened to me as a 16-year-old was that I realized that actually I could never please a holy God. And so I was sad. I became sad about the fact. And so if you're not yet a Christ follower, you're watching this or you're here today, it's great if you're sad about your current state, you need to be there before you can know Jesus. You really do. Otherwise, I don't need Jesus. He becomes a kind of just a friend who helps me when I need him. Maybe like a fourth emergency service or something. And so, you know, the Bible describes life without Jesus, without forgiveness and salvation, as a life without hope. And it talks about things like the consequences of our rebellion. The wages of our sin is death. And when I heard the gospel truly preached for the first time, it was amazing. This guy, was, he was probably a bit jollier than me this morning, but he, he, he kind of gave this message that all of us have rebelled against God. All of us, and we need Jesus. 
He's come that we might be right with God. We were made for a relationship with the Father. And he's come that you might not only be saved and go to heaven, but you can join him and participate in his kingdom plan to be an ambassador. And I thought, wow. And I was sad about that. Do you know, I like sadness already. I don't know about you. Because sadness leads us to Jesus. Isn't it great? Now, I'm normally really happy. Honestly, ask those who live with me. Maybe not. I'm not always happy. But, but you know, also, sadness gives us God's heart for the world. I found out that when I became a Christ follower, I read the Bible, but I felt it before I found out about it, that the Holy Spirit comes himself and lives inside of us. Jesus said, didn't he, we will come and make our home in you. And I started to dislike the things that God disliked. I started to love the things that God loved. So sadness, when we turn the TV on or whatever, or what's the news, we're sad about what God sees. You see, God's heart, the scriptures reveal it. Psalm 14, listen to this. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind, that includes you and me, to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. But all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Isaiah, in In Just World, 59, 14 through 16, this is God's heart. So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Listen to this Lord's heart. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw there was no one. He was appalled that no one, there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained. Remember Jesus looking over the lost sheep of Israel? In Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, when the spirit of transformation, even when you're sixteen or eight or five or eighty, comes into your life. You get a heart for people that you maybe never had before. Maybe you're already kind and compassionate, but the Holy Spirit times that by 10. See, sadness gives us God's heart for the world. Sadness leads us to Jesus. It gives us God's heart for the world. I love sadness. Can you imagine a world without sadness? Yeah, I know there's all those refugees drowning in the sea trying to just make a life for themselves. But you know, I've got a life, I'm fine. I, I, my heart breaks. Breaks for the injustice. Sadness gives me God's heart for the world. Do you know what sadness also does? I've just got a few, don't worry. It reminds me that God isn't finished with me yet. When I mess up and God speaks to my heart and said, that was not your finest moment. That was not your finest word. Your finest sentence, phrase, encouragement, whatever it might have been. You see, sadness reminds me, reminds us, that God is not yet finished. Sadness led me to Jesus. 
Sadness gives us God's heart for the well. But it reminds us God is not finished with us yet. Do you know, someone once said that salvation, the the, the act of being saved right with God, is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus, is the miracle of a lifetime. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the miracle of a lifetime. So we should get sad about the stuff that just misrepresents Jesus in our lives. I've got loads of it, by the way. If you just spend enough time with me, you'll know that. It's so important. And that, but sadness makes me sad about that. As we're challenged to be transformed as the word of God comes to us. Maybe through our own readings. Maybe through our, uh, from the platform or wherever we access that. You know, when we are frustrated about our lack of progress to become like Christ, that's encouraging. You know, I'm so encouraged when people say to me, I'm struggling with certain websites, I'm struggling with certain situations or whatever it is, because the Holy Spirit is is dissatisfied, is creating a holy dissatisfaction in your heart. That's encouraging that you're sad about it. It's when you're not sad about all the stuff in your life that doesn't honor Jesus that I get really worried about it. I love it when people have the courage to say, I'm super sad about this, and I feel embarrassed and guilty, and it's awful. I say, well, well done for saying that, because the Spirit of God is working in your heart. Amen. Don't cram it down and just do a praise party and say everything's great and sadness stay at the door on reception. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad about all sorts of things you don't know Jesus. See things in the world. Uh, God's not finished with me yet. You know, some people often say to me, I know I'm grumpy, but it's just the way I am. It is not just the way you are. The Holy Spirit can transform all of us. And I want, some things are difficult and, and dark and all sorts. But you know, sadness also reminds me, it reminds us, that this is not our home. Aren't you glad? With all the pain, in a broken world. Do you know, it's, it's really interesting just looking out here and, and just knowing some of the stories, and I've not been here very long. But I know some of you had great stories of brokenness, great stories of loss, of sadness. And when those birthdays come, and when those anniversaries come, of loved ones. And as we gather again as a church, and when people we know and loved and who served us, we need to pray for Mark and Kathy, don't we? We need to celebrate the work they've done, don't we? Yes, we do. We're not celebrating perfection in all of us. We're celebrating the goodness of God in using broken people like us. That's all we're doing. And that's so important to us. Let's not cram that down. Let's not do that because we need to celebrate all of that stuff. But do you know the good news is God is still at work. Maybe you're sad about the fact that you've lost someone. Maybe you're sad about your singleness. Maybe you're sad about your childlessness. And when you come to something like a praise party, when you come to a dedication, you feel guilty because you think, well, I shouldn't be sad. Because, but you know, maybe you struggle with children. You struggle with marriage. And you feel bad about even expressing that because no one will understand because you think, they think you're being miserable. It's okay to be sad and say, look, I'm part of this family, but I'm so sad. I hate my situation, but God, I've been praying for years and I need him to work. Can you pray with me about this? Is that okay? Honestly, it's beautiful. Isn't that what family's about? That we can pray and say, I'm so sad about this situation. 
It's so difficult. We can just crush everything down. I remember I spoke on a series some years ago on 2 Samuel. And uh, it was the kingdom battle was the title of the series. I remember it well. And um, it was, um, you might know the beginning of 2 Samuel. Um, Saul and his son Jonathan die in battle. You might know that. And uh, well, David, who was promised to be king, he, he's, a, he's the closest friend to Jonathan. They are absolutely like this. So, so close. And I remember I preached on chapter 2. Chapter 1, David gets the news of, of, of Saul and Jonathan uh, dying. And he collapses on the ground in his grief, his immediate. And his immediate reaction is to collapse and, and just lament immediately. Chapter 2 is beautiful. He writes a lovely lament. If chapter 1 was reactive grief, chapter 2 is intelligent grief. He, he, he just kind of writes, a, it's a beautiful thing. He says, this is, I just loved you, Jonathan. I just loved you so much. He reflects it down. And I remember preaching on that chapter two, and I called it the battle with grief. I don't do this all the time, don't worry. And we, we used to get quite a lot of visitors. And I remember there was this couple came in, and there was a few other visitors. And I spoke on the battle with grief. How people often say, well, it's been five years now. You should have got over the loss of your husband. It's been 20 years since your mum died or whatever. I've never heard so much rubbish. Seriously. I miss my parents every day. I miss those I love and lost every day. And I remember speaking about this, and you never know who's in front of you. And at the end, this couple came forward, and there were tears rolling on their face. And they said to me, you're not going to understand this, Keith. And they were an AOG, Assemblies of God, pastor and his wife. They said, we live in Norwich. This is, I was in Coventry, right? A long way. They said, we got up this morning in Norwich, and we felt God saying, drive to Coventry this morning. This is absolutely true. And they didn't know where they were going. They got there and they looked up and they googled and they got Bethel Church. And they sat there and they said, about six months ago we lost a child. <laughs> and we've been, the pastor and his wife, trying to say to the congregation, isn't Jesus good? Every Sunday and we're breaking apart. And we don't tell them that we're bust. And we feel we can drive down that motorway with permission to be sad. And say, please help us. And please pray for us. <laughs> if you are wondering whether you can be sad about our current circumstances as a church. About your recent loss or distant loss or whatever it is. Can I just say you don't need me or any other human being to tell you this. But permission granted. Be sad. And I pray, as Paul says at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, I pray that the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our sorrows, why? So we can keep it and stay sad? No, so we in turn can comfort others who themselves are struggling. We pass it on, that comfort that we ourselves receive from God. It's okay, honestly, to be sad. I am sad. Told you I'd cheer you up. But it reminds us sadness, it's not our home. We're getting there now. But you know what ultimately sadness does? It provides the ultimate backcloth for joy. Imagine if everything was just joy, 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 joy. How good is joy? It's great against sadness. It's beautiful against sadness. It's great against sadness. It provides, there's nothing more thrilling than seeing a life turn to Jesus. That was sad before and says, wow, I can't believe that the King of Kings loves me enough to walk with me.
There's nothing more dynamic than that. It's so encouraging. When God's love and compassion in the world is seen as God's people, then get involved in projects, whether that's compassion or other mission trips or other things or more locally in the hub or whatever we do. It's so wonderful to see that the compassion God has got, that, that he permeates in our hearts, spills out amongst his people. It's so beautiful to see that. It's so encouraging to hear someone struggling for years with forgiveness who suddenly said, I've been able to forgive my son. My ex, my this. Forgiveness was one of those things, isn't it? Which is a great idea until you've got to do it yourself. It really, really is. But it releases you. It releases you. But you know, for many, many of you might still be in that dark chapter of sadness right now. For many, the last chapter of joy still hasn't been written and you're saying really maybe thinking at least if you're not saying it well it's okay for you Keith well maybe it is maybe it isn't you don't know my life but for many of us who still live with pain loss today fresh injustice it's against this context that the promise of total joy can have the most impact could I just encourage you to hang on in there please the promise of joy can stand in stark contrast our restricted bodies our struggle with loneliness or singleness or childlessness or loss of loved ones soul partners a loss of pastors who've married people who've dedicated our children who've walked with us who've helped us in this building All of these things. We can cling to the promise that Gemma so beautifully read to us in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven. Lift up your eyes. And I saw a new earth for the first heaven. The first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. And here we go. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will. It's a fact. I don't know how he's going to square that circle of grief in my life, but he will wipe away every tear from my eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Do you know, the alternative approach is that we can be a bit like joy in that movie clip. To push out all negative thoughts, sad things in our lives. To devalue them, maybe even to conclude sadness has no place in the Christian life. We can then create a false ceiling of expectation and create a sense of huge failure in many. So not only are we sad, we feel guilty for being sad as well. That has no place here. I just pray, if only we could see how God might actually use our situation 
And that he might use sadness as the perfect context for his joy. Maybe we could embrace it and see beyond it. R.T. Kendall, I'm just going to finish with this, speaks about the betrayal barrier. Where somehow we feel God has betrayed us. God has led us down in some way. And he speaks about people who somehow the Lord allows to break through the betrayal barrier. People like Paul, the Apostle Paul. People like Job. People like Habakkuk. Who were given insight to break through the betrayal barrier. And realize that the sadness that the Lord allowed them to experience might just be an opportunity. To see something of God that they'd never seen before. Job at the end of his life could say, do you know, after losing all his children and his business and everything, he said, Lord, before I'd heard of you, but now I see you. (laughs) And he didn't get a single answer to his questions, why? My prayer for us, for me and you, over these weeks and months as we love each other, be kind to each other. Be kind. Is that we might break through that barrier like Paul and be able to say from an awful prison, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Philippians 4.12. Or be like Job breaking through the betrayal barrier, even though he slays me, yet will I praise him. How does that happen? Or maybe like Habakkuk in a hand-to-mouth society where you starve if the fields don't grow the crops. And those you love could too. Where he says, though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, no supermarkets here. Though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. How does that even happen? How does that even happen? So maybe you're sad today. Struggling to see through the current church chapter. The daily pain the family angst, the workplace stress, your relational situation, the general daily struggle, and to make it worse, you feel guilty about it. (laughs) Could I encourage you not to feel guilty, please, by the Spirit's power, please, but rather see it as an opportunity to do what Habakkuk and Paul and Job did and break through the betrayal barrier. And see God in a new way. However he does that. And embrace his wonderful promise of joy. If you're without Christ today. I hope you're sad about the stuff inside. That you can't deal with on your own. Only the God who made you can. You can know the joy of forgiveness right now. If you're hurting about what you see in the world. On your TV screen in the news wherever that might be, maybe pray how the Lord might use you to bring joy and hope into the place he has put you. If you're frustrated at your lack of spiritual progress, be encouraged and ask God to let your holy dissatisfaction be a catalyst to seek him with all your heart, to open yourself to his transforming power. 
And if you are sad because each day is genuinely a painful, dark struggle that you cannot see beyond, physically, mentally, or both, let us ask God to help us see this as a great opportunity to embrace his future promise of joy. Amen.